Some things are hard to believe. Some things are hard to believe. Um, I'll never forget my first year at the University of Kentucky. I was there with one of my good buddies I'd grown up with and just um, uh, as a roommate, and we were hanging out and um, there in the dorm, and he, he pulled out his milk for the first night, and it was skim. And I said, bro, what are you doing? He's like, Jesse, everybody knows skim's better than 2% or whole. And I was like, come on, man, right? Like, come on now. Some of you, right, some things are hard to believe. Like folks trying to convince me that there's a better all-time country group than the group Alabama. I'm like, uh-uh-uh-uh. Some of you, right, are not convinced this morning that the earth is round. Like, it's just hard to believe that, right? Some things are hard to believe. And then some things get more serious, right? I mean, for folks that struggle to believe that the Holocaust actually happened. It just seems too extreme, too far out there, right? Some things just seem hard to believe for some folks. And so we come, is it not working? I'm sorry. And so, and so we come this morning, right, to, to maybe a story that seems like maybe one of the most extreme and out there stories ever told. In fact, today's story is one of those that probably has moments in your life, maybe even personally, or you've heard folks believe, heard say things like, you follow a religion that believes stories like that? And yet today, here we come to this text that Jesus shows us the story of Jonah is so important. In fact, he says this sign is going to be followed by a greater sign, a sign like Jonah's, but greater. And he says this sign is so important that if you miss it, it will cost you your very soul. That's how important it is to believe this. And so Jesus comes as we walk here to Matthew chapter 12, verses 38 to 50. And we see that Jonah's sign will be repeated, but even in a greater way. A greater way than a man being swallowed by a fish for three days and three nights and then vomited out. Listen, as the text opens, it begins there in, in verse 38. It says, Then some of the scribes and Pharisees answered him, saying, Teacher, we wish to see a sign from you. But he answered them, An evil and adulterous generation seeks for a sign, but no sign will be given to it except the sign of the prophet Jonah. Listen again, their question is, right? Jesus, teacher, rabbi, show us a sign. Prove that you're actually the Messiah. Prove that you're the Son of God. Now listen, they want some type of proof that Jesus is actually who he says he is. Don't assume and hear or hear this and assume the Bible is opposed to your asking, seeking, or knocking hard questions, right? That's not at all what Jesus is doing here. But Matthew's been showing us, guys, that Jesus is actually the Son of God, and he proves it again and again by his miracles or the signs. Right? I mean, we've seen in this very chapter, right, a demon a demon possessed man who was unable to speak or hear, and Jesus heals that man. We've seen already here in Matthew twelve a man with a withered hand, and Jesus heals that man. We saw just a couple chapters previous in Matthew nine, there was a girl who was dead, and Jesus raised her from the dead. You see, Jesus has been supplying all the signs. And the temptation can be, just like for them as it is for us, that somehow God's signs on God's timetables aren't enough for us and we need more. That somehow the scriptures that they knew so well, as Jesus says in the Gospel of John, you know the scriptures that testify about me, yet you refuse to come to me to have life. He says, you know all about the scriptures, but somehow they're not enough. Somehow you need something more. Jesus calls them, notice what he says to them. He answers and says, it's an evil and adulterous generation that seeks for a sign. 
You see, the reality is they are to be covenant keepers spiritually with God, just like a man, a woman, right? For better, for worse, richer, for poor, in sickness and health, until death do us part. They make that covenant, that man to that woman, right? In the presence of God and, and those witnesses. In the same way, Jesus says that we are covenant keepers, that God has entered into covenant relationship with us. And now he defines them as an adulterous generation, those who have not been faithful to the covenant. In fact, what they're doing is they're rejecting the very scriptures they think they hold to. You see, I think it brings us to a point when the truth is literally right before our eyes and yet we refuse to believe it. We refuse to respond. Jesus' response today to their demand for a sign, he points them to Jonah. And it's Jonah's story and Jonah's message that come to us in an even greater way through Jesus Christ, his message, his story, that compel us all to repent and believe. And I think today the text leaves with us with maybe three primary questions. One is, what was Jonah's sign and what was his message? Secondly, what was Jesus' sign and what was Jesus' message and is it greater? And then third, asking this question, is it possible for you, just like the possible for the people of Jesus' day, that on the day of judgment, the people from Nineveh will rise up and condemn you. Is there any hope of escape from that? So let's wrestle with it today. Begin our first question is this. What was Jonah's sign and what did he preach? What was Jonah's sign and what did he preach? Look what he says again to them back, verse 39. But he answered them, an evil and adulterous generation seeks for a sign, but no sign will be given to it except the sign of the prophet Jonah. For, right, here's, here's what, what's Jonah's sign. Look what he says. For just as Jonah was how many days? And how many nights? Three days, three nights in the belly of a great fish. So will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. Jesus says the sign of Jonah, right, was three days and three nights in the story or in the belly of a great fish. But the story doesn't start there. The story begins, actually, it's God's story, right? We make it all about Jonah, but ultimately the story of Jonah is really God's story. God says, listen, I love these rebellious people, these people in the land of Nineveh. Nineveh is the capital of Assyria, modern-day Iraq. They are ruthless warriors. In fact, sometime after the preaching of Jonah, the Assyrian people will go and conquer the northern tribe of Israel and export them. This is a ruthless, dangerous enemy. And God says, go to them and preach a message of judgment that they might repent, that they might be forgiven. Yet Jonah is hesitant, right? He knows the danger of them. In fact, most of the Jewish people hate the Assyrians. And so Jonah does too. But instead of going to them, Jonah actually boards a ship and goes which direction? The opposite way, doesn't he? In the midst of that time, a great storm, a great squall comes up, right? And they're fearful that they're going to be drowned. And they're wondering maybe who on this board of the ship has somehow offended their God and got everybody in trouble. In fact, Jonah finally confesses, it's me. And he has this crazy moment in which he says, if you'll throw me overboard, the storm will be calmed. And so they take Jonah and they chuck him in the ocean. And by some miraculous moment, the storm actually calms. And yet, instead of Jonah drowning, God sends this great big fish that swallows Jonah. And for three days and three nights, Jonah is there in the belly of a fish. Now think for a moment what it might be like to be in the belly of a fish. Other things dying and decaying around you, digestive fluids of some great creature. 
working on your skin, right? Ladies, you after some exfoliation, right? There's some exfoliation happening in that moment, right? And there he is somewhere, this, this, this great fish gets a little bit sick. I don't know what he had eaten, right? But something didn't quite set well. And this brother gets sick and vomits. And there goes Jonah out of the fish. And now he shows up on the shores of Nineveh. Think for a moment, right? Is it possible that his skin has the appearance of not looking quite right? Is it possible that after being three days and three nights amongst these digestive fluids and then being vomited out, I'm guessing Jonah probably doesn't smell the best. Is it possible that Jonah appears to them like a man back from the dead? And he's proclaiming a message of judgment. And he's a sign of judgment. Here he is standing there proclaiming to them this truth. And so Jesus says, I want you to know that this was the sign of Jonah, but there's a greater sign coming. It's an epic sign nonetheless, right? Of three days and three nights in the belly of a fish. But Jesus wants us to know there's something greater coming. We're going to see it in a moment, but maybe we'll ask, well, what was Jonah's message? The Bible records just very few words in Jonah chapter 3, verse 4. Listen to what the Word of God says. Jonah began to go into the city, the city of Nineveh, right? The capital of the Syrians, going a day's journey. And he called out, here's his message, yet 40 days and Nineveh shall be overthrown or destroyed. I don't know about you, but as you read that text, right, I'm assuming you hear the word 40 days and some alarms start going off. You see, 40 is symbolic in the Bible for judgment and trials, testing. It was 40 days that God unleashed the flood upon the earth. It was 40 days that Goliath came and stand before the Israelites saying, Who will fight me? It was 40 years that the people of Israel wandered in the wilderness. 40 is symbolic for judgment. And so this is clear. 40 days and then comes judgment. The word overthrown there, you see it as well. And it's verse 4 of Jonah 3. It says, Yet 40 days and Nineveh shall be overthrown. Overthrown is a term for war. And might we ask, why is God so upset? What's God, right? What's got God upset about what the people of Nineveh had done? Look what he says back in verse 2 of Jonah chapter 1, part of his commissioning to go. Listen to what he says. God says to Jonah, arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it for. Here's the reason why he is to call out against this city, this statement of judgment, right? Why is he doing that? For, he says, their evil has come up before me. The people of Nineveh are wicked, are evil, and God has seen enough of it. And now he is sending his messenger to proclaim to them that they are to repent. Right? In fact, that's what Jesus' words are. Look back here with me in Matthew chapter 12, verse 41. He says, the men of Nineveh will rise up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it for, listen to what they did, they what? Repented at the preaching of Jonah. It is this clear call to us all. As we hear the word of God, there is a call to repentance, a change of mind. It is seeing the truth of who God is and his love, his holiness, his kindness, his goodness. You've been singing about this morning. His mercy is more. But at the same time, you recognize your sinfulness. And you see your sin no longer for the delight maybe that it once was. But now you see the abomination of your sinfulness and your wickedness. And you realize as we sing a song with our boys, what's the scariest of all? It's that our sin separates us from our God. 
It's that separation from God that is there in that moment. And these folks see it and realize there's no way they can rescue themselves. Yes, change is needed, but they can't deliver the change they need. There is no power to self-reform. There is no power to clean up your own life well enough. But the good news is, as you just saying, His mercy is more. God desires to rescue and deliver. Listen to what happens here in the, in the, in the Gospel of Jonah. And I may not have written it down. I'm sorry. But listen, Jonah chapter 3. Uh, verse 5, it says that they believed that the judgment of God was coming. They believed God. There's a moment of belief, of recognition. And now further in verse 5, it says they fasted. They throw on sackcloth. They begin to demonstrate outwardly their inward humility. Fasting is a sign to say, I can't rescue myself. And then in verse 8 of Jonah chapter 3, the king says, let us all turn from our evil way. See, they acknowledge what God said about them was actually true. Have you done that? Have you acknowledged what God actually says about you is true? That you are in fact separated from Him in your sin? The people of Nineveh acknowledge that very truth. The king of Nineveh says to the Assyrian people, Let us turn from our evil ways. Let us repent. I share that to let you know that true and genuine repentance is a change of mind, seeing our sin for what it is, and then it's turning from it. Might I ask you today, what do you need to repent of, beloved? Maybe for some of you it's time to come clean about the things that you've been looking at on screens and confess to another believer, I need help. Would you pray, would you fast with me that God would break this in my life? I need accountability. Some of you, listen... The repentance means you can't keep hanging with the same people you've been hanging with. I know you hadn't liked to hear what your mom or dad or grandma or grandpa had to say about trying to warn you about those folks, but sometimes you need to listen in. As Proverbs says, there is wisdom in a multitude of counselors. You need to listen and perk up and realize that those people, as the Bible says, bad company, what? Corrupts good character. It does. That's it, sis. It does. I like it. Listen, guys, well, I don't know what it is for you. Um, threw me off. But listen, you need to turn from the sin in your life. All right, sis, come on now. Trying, aren't we, huh? Golly, man. Something about having little girls, I'm telling you, it's different. The boys will be like, all right, it's enough. And her, I'm like, come on, that's cute. I like it. Just different, just different. Um, might we hear, though, this moment here and see this and maybe wrestle with another question? Why is God so nosy? Like, why does God have to get in the business of the people of Nineveh anyway? Like, why can't they just go on doing their own thing? Like, why, why, why does God care so much? In the words of J.D. Greer, the president of the Southern Baptist Convention, he says that, guess what, our sin is cosmic treason. It's because guess what? God owns this building. He owns the building you live in. He owns the 42743 and he owns all of the world. It's all his. Right? We sing that song, right? Don't we sing that song? Red and yellow, black and white, they are all precious in his sight. God loves the little children of the world. Why does God love them? Because he created them in his image. Every creature, everything is created in the image of God. So God's not being nosy. Guess what? It's His business. And He is the rightful King, beloved. And at some point, at some point, the rightful King shows back up. And He says, this is treason against me and my rule and reign. 
and it can't go on. In fact, did you know that God created you for relationship with him? Uniquely, God created you to have relationship with him, to know him, to worship him, to experience his mercy is more, to know the love of being forgiven of everything that you've ever done. That's who God is. He desires in his holiness and his glory for you to be his forever worshiper, as you sang this morning, for you to be a part of those elders who fall down and cast those crowns upon the glassy sea to say thou art and forever will be holy, holy, holy. To acknowledge who this God is with the myriads and myriads and thousands upon thousands of angels and those great creatures around the throne. Imagine for a moment a fish in the ocean saying, you know what, I don't think I like this here anymore. I'm just going to check out. And that fish jumps out of the ocean, jumps up on the shore and left there flollocking, right? Desperate. Moments away from death. Wouldn't it be the loving thing for you or whoever to walk by and see that fish there in distress? And to pick that fish up and say, listen, you may have thought it was better here, but it's not. i got to make things right and put you back where you truly belong. The only place that you can truly prosper. You see, God, through a dramatic sign of a fish swallowing a man and three days later vomiting him back out alive, is saying to all of us, things are not right. Things are not as they are supposed to be. Thus, see the sign and hear the message and repent. So Jonah's sign is three days and three nights in the belly of a fish. His message is one of judgment, but repentance and mercy. But might we ask, could there be a more amazing story than that? Could there be a more amazing story than a man being swallowed by a fish, living for three days, being vomited out and living to tell about it? Matthew seems to think there is. The New Testament seems to think there is. And thus we ask this second question. How is Jesus' sign and message greater than Jonah's? How, right? We've already asked, what is Jonah's sign and his message? Now we're asking a follow-up question. How is Jesus' sign and message greater than Jonah? Listen again back to the text here in Matthew chapter 12, verse 40. For just as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the fish, so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. First, you have to see that Jesus' sign is similar to Jonah's, right? Notice what he says in 4. Notice he says this statement, just as. So there's a similarity of Jonah, right, who was three days and three nights in the belly of the fish, right? The Son of Man, Jesus, is going to be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. Right, uh, Jewish calendar, right, their reckoning was any part of a day counted as that day. So Jesus crucified, buried there on Friday, still in the tomb on Saturday. And then by the power of God on that Sunday morning, he was raised again to life. Amen, church? That's why we're here on Sunday morning. Do you realize that? We celebrate every Sunday morning that our God is not dead. He's surely alive. And I praise on the inside, roaring like what? Lying. Come on, some of you with me, right? You with me? You know the song? Come on. It's a reminder how powerful our music, our words are. We remember those things. But listen, while Jonah's sign was great, three days and three nights in the belly of a fish, there's going to come a greater sign. There's going to come a man that's going to be buried for three days and on the third day by the power of God be raised again. Why? Because he is the God-man. That's the sign that's coming. It's a greater sign. 
Listen to what Jesus says. The men of Nineveh will rise up at the judgment, verse 41, with this generation and condemn it, for they repented at the preaching of Jonah. And behold, notice what he says here, something greater than Jonah is here. Jesus is greater than one of the Old Testament prophets? That in itself is a blasphemous statement if it's not true. For Jonah, for Jesus to be greater than Jonah. But listen, that's not Jesus' claim alone. Listen to what he said, though. Again, verse 41. There's something greater. There's someone greater than Jonah is here. But Matthew's been making a point to help us realize how great Jesus truly is throughout Matthew 12. You heard it first back in verse 6. I tell you, Jesus says, something greater than the what? The temple is here. Verse 41. There's something greater than Jonah is here. And then he says now in verse 42, the queen of the south will rise up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it. For she came from the ends of the earth to hear the wisdom of Solomon and behold, something greater than Solomon is here. Think about that for a moment. Jesus has just elevated himself above Israel's three greatest offices. Priest, prophet, and king. Hear that for a moment. Jesus says, I'm greater than your greatest prophets. I'm greater than the temple where that's where the priests are. I'm greater than the priest. And I'm greater than Solomon, who was one of your all-time greatest kings. Jesus wants us to know, to say to everyone present, listen to me. To reject a prophet would be foolish. The Ninevites, it was going to cost them destruction. To reject the priest offering a sacrifice, there's nowhere else to go to get right with God. To reject the king will make you a shish kebab. And Jesus says, I am the greatest priest, prophet, and king that this world has ever known or ever will know. And so therefore, beloved, it would be foolish. In fact, it would be rebellious. To reject this prophet, priest, and king. Remember, Matthew writes to a Jewish audience so they would hear these and realize the weight of what Matthew is saying through the words of Christ. It is this unbelievable moment. And Jesus provides an illustration of the generation of people that is is difficult and challenging. Jesus begins to talk about demons. We've already encountered demons already in the chapter, right, where Jesus drove out the man who was demon-possessed there and the demon was wreaking havoc upon his life. And now Jesus provides us an illustration to help us maybe understand what's happening with the lives of the Jewish people and maybe what's in danger of happening in our own. Listen to what he says beginning in verse 43 of Matthew 12. When the unclean spirit has gone out of a person, it passes through waterless places seeking rest but finds none. Then it says, I will return to my house from which I came. And when it comes, it finds the house empty, swept, and put in order. Then it goes and brings with it seven other spirits more evil than itself. And they enter and dwell there. And the last state of that person is worse than the first. So also will it be with this evil generation. This is a difficult passage, right, to interpret. I do believe that this statement here at the end, so it also will be this evil generation, provides a summary and some type of interpretive clues to what Jesus is ultimately speaking about. Right? We could spend time here talking about demons. They desire to possess people. Right? We realize that there could be possession more than just one demon, but multiple demons. Right? We've seen that throughout Scripture. There's more things that we could say. But I think it's important for us not to miss maybe what's happening in the midst of this context. 
Listen to what he says about what this demon says. Verse 44, Matthew 12. I will return to my house, indicating the person, right? The person is, is represented by a house from which I came. And when it comes, it finds the house empty, swept, and put in order. It indicates that maybe a life has enough of religion, or maybe we might say enough of Jesus and his teachings to get things back in order. And maybe that's where you are today, or maybe that's where you've been at some point, that there came a point in your life where things just weren't headed in the right direction. And so you decided that you would stop doing that, stop going there, stop whatever, viewing that, watching that, saying that, partaking in that, whatever it was. You started to sweep. You can tell I swept a lot, right? Who sweeps like that? I don't know. But anyway, I, you start to empty your life. You, you try to put things a little bit more in order, get things a little bit better back in shape. You've, you've, you've emptied out, tried to get rid of that, right? That, that's causing the trouble, the problem. But the issue is the house is empty, beloved. And Jesus seems to say to us today, that if the human heart is not filled with God, it will begin to be attracted and open to other things. Some of you, listen, you've, you've come to that place. You've self-reformed yourself. You're a better person. I mean, you don't do the things that you once did. You don't talk like you used to talk. Maybe you don't have the issue with drinking and partying or, or roughhousing or whatever it is for you anymore. But the truth is, You've just reformed yourself. Jesus tells us here that, listen, unless you are repentive and believing, filled with him, as he's going to show us in a moment, you can't be a part of his family. And the danger is, listen, these people are empty, swept and put in order and they don't see it. They're blind to it. They've cleaned up their life. They're the most religious people on the face of the earth. And yet, on the inside, they are not indwelt by the Holy Spirit. And according to Ephesians 1 and 13, it is the Spirit that God gives you that is a deposit guaranteeing in your inheritance. It is the Spirit inside of you, beloved, that protects you from the evil one. It is a terrifying moment that Jesus brings to us here, warning us of the danger of being a good person of self-reformation of your life. Beloved, there is only one way to truly be transformed. It is by the blood of Jesus Christ, the only Son of God. If you reject Him, no matter how good you are, ultimately you are spiritually empty and bankrupt and therefore you will give an account for your own sin. There's only one way to be pardoned. It is to believe upon the Son of God and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And then the Spirit begins to put your life in order. It is no longer the best you or your best efforts. It is the power of Christ in you. I think for a moment this has to compel us to preach, teach, and share the true gospel. I think it has to caution us as a church to be weary or at least aware of the danger of trying to manipulate responses of people to get them to say what we want them to say. The truth is they can say what we want them to say, but if there's not truly a born-again moment by the power of God's Spirit, beloved, they're empty. And we've just put them in a place to be even more confused the rest of their days. Beloved, this must mean that we as a church must preach, teach, and share the true gospel. Not man-made, 
It is the only the Spirit of God that can truly save and transform. So we proclaim Christ in the power of the Spirit through ongoing prayer because we know only the Spirit of God can truly make someone secure. It is our hope. But beloved, this is an alarming text. Why? Because he warns these people that don't have, they have no clue that it's them. And thus we must ask a third and final question. Is there any escape from the people of Nineveh condemning you or I on the day of judgment? Ask that question again. Is there any escape from Jesus' words here that the people of Nineveh will rise again on the day of judgment and condemn those people and even us who have heard the true gospel and rejected it? You see, I don't know, and you've probably wrestled with it at some point, but this story of Jonah is is really like a fantasy, isn't it? I mean, come on. A man swallowed by a fish for three days and vomited out. And yet, here's God in the flesh saying to us, this story is so real that if you don't hear it and see its true meaning, that it points to a greater burial, death, burial, and resurrection. The men of Nineveh, the people of Nineveh will rise up and say to you and I, we heard the preaching and the moment of mercy and grace and we responded And you guys had that? His death on the cross, His burial and the resurrection on the third day, the power of the Spirit of God, you had the Word of God day after day, week after week, and yet you refused? Jesus says the day will come on that day of judgment. Obviously, the people of Nineveh are real people, and they, like all of us, will be raised again and to face judgment. Beloved, listen to what He says. The men of Nineveh will rise up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it. Why? Because they repented at the preaching of Jonah. And behold, something greater than Jonah is here. There's no excuse. Jesus says there's no excuses on that day. There's no, listen, beloved, today, there's no excuse for rejecting and closing to the gospel. The people of Nineveh will be raised to life just like you will. And they will come to the judgment just like you and I will. And on that day, beloved, there is only one thing that will save. It is faith and trust in the Son of God, Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God, who takes away the sin of the world. There will be no excuses for anyone. But in the midst of Jonah's story, I hope we see something else. God loves the people of Nineveh. That's the scandal. That's why Jonah doesn't want to go there. That's why the Jewish people are struggling to hear it. That's why the church will struggle when the Gentiles come in. Because God loves even the unclean. The story of Jonah is a story of mercy and extravagant grace. It is God's love and kindness that God desires that all would come in and be a part of His family. God welcomes whosoever will. And beloved, that's scandalous that a holy, perfect God would welcome dirty people like me and like you. That's the scandal of Jonah. That's the scandal of Jesus. And it's still the scandal today. But beloved, the good news is none of you here are too dirty. None of you here have done too much wrong. 
If any God was closed off to any people, surely it would be the people of Nineveh. But he sends his prophet and proclaims the news to them and they repent. It's a message of hope and grace and mercy that God's mercy is. You sang it this morning. Jonah reminds you, it's true. His mercy is more. You're not too dirty. You've not gone too far. You're not discarded goods. God loves you so much that He sent His only begotten Son that if you today would believe on Him, you shall not perish but have what, church? Everlasting life. Hallelujah. As you consider the escape from judgment this morning and the people of Nineveh rising up at the judgment, I want to compel you to the beauty of Christ as you consider it through the lens of the story of Jonah as other scholars and pastors have have commented. I want to share just a couple of these. Jonah ran from his, his assignment. Jesus ran toward it. Jonah came only because he had to. Jesus came because he wanted to. Jonah sat outside the city of Nineveh and hoped for its destruction. Jesus sat outside the walls of Jerusalem and weeped for its repentance. The only reason Jonah delivered the message to Nineveh was to save his own life. Jesus delivered his message even though it cost him his own life. Jonah was thrown overboard into the sea because of his own sin and it calmed the sea. Jesus was cast into the sea of God's wrath because of our sin And by his death, he has made peace with us, with God. Jonah was taken down in the depths of the darkness of the belly of a fish for three days because of his disobedience. Jesus was taken down to the heart of the earth for three days because of our disobedience. Therefore, Jonah and Jesus both proclaim a message of hope, a message of forgiveness. The difference is while Jonah was proclaiming a way about the way of life, Jesus says, I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. You'll never come to the Father except through me. Today, would you hear that only hope and repent and believe? It's the only hope of the gospel. It's a moment of grace and mercy that you and I can be welcomed into the family of God. That's what Matthew closes with. It says, while he was still speaking, verse 46 of Matthew 12, to the people, behold, his mother Mary and his brother stood outside asking to speak to him. But he replied to the man who told him, Who's my mother and who are my brothers? Verse 49. And stretching out his hand toward his disciples, he said, Here are my mother and my brothers. For whoever does the will of my Father, so doing the will of the Father in heaven, is my brother and sister and mother. Jesus is showing us at the close of Matthew 12 who is and who is out of the kingdom. It's not about knowledge. It's not about ethnicity. It's not about tribal identity. It's not even about the family that you were born into. It's about doing the will of the Father. And what is the will of the Father? To believe upon the Son. Listen, why is it doing the will of the Father? Because our doing represents our true being. Don't get these two confused. You aren't doing it so that you will be accepted into the family. You are doing it because you've already been received into the family by grace through faith. You with me? You're not trying to work right away to the cross, right? You're working always from the cross. Never trying to earn our goodness, our own righteousness. Mike, today, here for a moment, we as a church ask ourselves, just like the Jewish people, is there anybody that we're riding out of God's kingdom? Like, I mean, is there's somebody here in Greene County that maybe just doesn't live in the right place, and so we're like, oh, I'm not sure we want to minister to those folks. 
Maybe there's somebody in this church, even this morning, maybe just has too bad of a past, and you're like, shoo, can't believe they're here. Maybe somebody isn't successful enough, or maybe they don't come from the right family to ever be considered to, to lead an area of ministry or serve in this church. Beloved, the story of Jonah, like the story of Jesus' story of God's mercy and desire to show forgiveness, let's model God's forgiveness by welcoming all who God will send here to hear the gospel. And then we'll welcome into the church body, into the family, those that God welcomes in the church family. It's those who repent and believe. So we welcome everyone and anyone to hear the gospel. Are you with me? As Dr. Robert Smith says, we don't clean fish before we catch them. But to welcome them into the family of God, they must repent and believe. That's the teaching of our Master and our Savior. To offer forgiveness. You know what I know about forgiveness? Offering forgiveness is never easy. A few weeks ago, one of Pavey's brothers struck her with a toy. She began to cry, and she jumped up in my arms, and I said, Pavey, baby, I, I know you're upset, but I, I want to encourage you to forgive him. Would you forgive him? And her little one-year-old voice came out, looked me square in the eyes, put her little hands on my face, and she said these three words, Go get him! And I said, Yes, ma'am! Let's go! Listen, she's one. How much does she understand of forgiveness and what I was saying? I don't know, but what did the reminder was me? is whether you're one or you're 100, revenge is easy. Forgiveness is hard. Whether you're one or 100, revenge is easy. That just comes natural. Forgiveness is hard. And that's what the hope of all of this story is. Is that whether you're the Assyrians, the people of Nineveh, Jonah comes saying there's a God who was willing to forgive you and show you grace. Whether you're the people of Jesus' day or us now, The good news is no matter what you've done, you're not too dirty or too far gone. Jesus comes and says to you and to I, I will forgive you because I'll take your dirty and uncleanness and I'll take it on myself and I'll give you my cleanness back in return. Beloved, that's the hope of the gospel. But I want to be straight with you. If you reject this gospel, there will come a day when God the Father will say to the angels, Go get them. That day will come, beloved. Everyone here, you need to hear this truth. The offer of mercy and grace is here now. But there will come a day when God will say, Go get them. Beloved, repent and believe today. Come to Christ. As a church, let's show mercy and grace. Let's offer up the truth, warning people about the judgment that is to come. Beloved, what a moment of mercy and grace and hope. The story of Jonah that ultimately looked to the greater story. The greater prophet, the greater priest, and the greater king. And his name is Jesus. Do you know him? Today we compel you to repent of your sins and believe upon him. Will you do it? Believer, are you walking in obedience to Him? Are you doing the will of the Father? Are you continuing by the way that you live to reflect the fact that you are truly in the family of God? Jesus says, whoever does the will of my Father, that's my mom, that's my brother, that's my sister. Is He talking about you? Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank You for the hope of the gospel of Jesus Christ, God. Thank You, God. 
today that you would save somebody like me, Lord. Thank you that the story of the people of Nineveh, God, is a story like my own, unworthy and undeserving, and yet you sent the hope of the good news of Jesus Christ to save a wretch like me. God, I once was blind, but now I see. Thank you, Jesus. God, thank you for saving us. Thank you for rescuing us. God, I pray now, pleading, Lord Jesus, please open the eyes. We sang it, Lord. Open the eyes of our hearts. Let us see us, our true Savior, Jesus Christ. Father, let us hear the truth that there will be no excuses on that day. God, finally, I pray for this church to go out and tell anyone and everyone about Jesus Christ. I pray we will proclaim the true gospel. We will not back down and we will be bold. Strengthen us, God. Empower us to go in mercy and grace. I pray this for the glory of Jesus Christ, the soon coming King. And all God's people said, Amen, amen and Amen. We'd love to meet you this morning and talk with you about your relationship with Christ. Talk to you about membership in this church. We invite you this morning to come. Maybe you have something you need to pray. We'd love to pray with you. Come on, guys. Let's get right with the Lord Jesus Christ. This is Todd Young with Greensburg Baptist Church. Thank you for joining us today. If you've accepted Christ during today's podcast, we would love to hear from you and connect you with a home church in your area. Or if you have questions regarding a relationship with Christ, Brother Blake and I would love to speak with you. Please contact us at the church office at 270-932-4495 or connect with us through our website at greensburgbaptist.com. In addition, you may visit our website anytime to access the sermon videos and podcast of any recent sermon. You may also subscribe to our podcast in the iTunes store. Have a great day today.